0: I would invite you, if you uh, have your Bibles with you, that you would turn to the passage that Zach just read, and that would be Luke chapter 19. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Arguably, these are some of the most familiar words in the history of the United States. On July 4th, 1776, after already almost 15 months of wars and ba- of battles, the Second Continental Congress declared the independence of the co- colonies from Great Britain. The war would drag on for seven more years. And what we know is our Constitution would not be complete until 1789. Now, this is not a sermon about the history of our nation. It's not a sermon about the awkward definition of all men are created equal when you consider that 41 of the 56 founding fathers actually owned slaves and yet with their flaws as human beings. They were people that made a commitment, a commitment to freedom and independence, and they stuck with it, paying a high cost. Of the 56 that added their signatures to that document on July 4, 1776, they all put their lives, the lives of their families, and any fortune at great risk. Nine of the signers died in, wo- in battles throughout the rest of the revolution. Five were captured. Twelve had their houses burned to the ground. 17 lost everything many of their families suffered imprisonment and death and yet interestingly enough not one of those 56 ever recanted or defected they understood that freedom comes at a high cost this morning we are going to talk about freedom we are going to talk about freedom though that begins first and foremost with a relationship with jesus christ this morning, we're going to see that true freedom is always applied within boundaries. This morning, we're going to see the unique nature that we have as, uh, and the unique gifts and abilities God has given each of us so that we can actually use our freedom, as Paul says in Galatians 5, 13, use our freedom to serve others. Luke's gospel tells us the story of Zacchaeus and then also he tells us a parable about some a king that goes off to be an individual who goes off to be given the authority of kingship and those that opposed him. The themes that we're going to see in Luke 19 are somewhat familiar and yet there's lessons that we can learn. Uh, this morning I'm going to leave you when we're all done with three principles and one challenge that present themselves in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 27. We've already had it read for us, the story of Zacchaeus, a story that if you've grown up in church, you know, and you might be able to sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Popularity of Jesus is about as high as it could get. Jesus is coming into Jericho, and people are lining the roads to see him. They've heard about him. They've heard about the work that he's done. And in Luke's gospel, after these two instances, we go right into that triumphal entry. So the height and the popularity of Jesus are big. Now, Zacchaeus is not just any old tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. What that means is he's got people. He's got people under him. He's got people that report to him he is in the tax collector realm somebody we're also told that he's uh short uh he's the average man in the first century in jerusalem the average height was between one and 5'5 so zacchaeus is probably shorter than 5'1 one. by our standards he's a really he, he's a little person almost and he's not liked at all because he has gotten very wealthy off of the backs of the people. So when people see Zacchaeus coming and they know that he wants to kind of get through so that he can see Jesus, why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus? Maybe he just heard about him and wanted to kind of see the experience and, and get the experience. We don't know. We know that he for some reason, was moved that day to come and see Jesus. Well, he's also a very creative man. So when he can't get through the crowd, he looks around and he finds a sycamore tree. They believe it was probably a sycamore beech tree, a tree that had low branches that he could scramble up. And we know the story. It's very familiar. Zacchaeus climbs the tree and he gets the point and he can see Jesus walking down the path. He has great seats, like some of you had last night for the fireworks. You know, these are great seats. There are no obstructions. We can see everything that's going on. Imagine his excitement when Jesus stops right at the tree where he is. It's like he's already getting ready to tell the story. I was up in the sycamore tree, and Jesus came along, and he stopped. I got to, like, look at the guy. Imagine his surprise when Jesus looks up and makes eye contact with him. Imagine his shock when Jesus calls him by name. We have no idea how Jesus knew his name, but he called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There's an immediacy to the words of Jesus. Come down immediately, come down right now. Don't you make me come up there and get you, come down. I must stay at your house today. That's a phrase of mission. In other words, what Jesus is saying, it's my mission today to stay at your house. What's, in essence, Jesus is inviting himself to dinner. Now, in our culture, that's really rude. If I walk up to some of you after the service today and say, hey, guess what? Charlene and I are coming to your house for Sunday dinner today. You're going to be taken aback just a little bit. You're going to get your phone out and check the calendar and see if you missed an appointment to, to, Did we invite Pastor Scott and Charlene? Did we forget? Uh, We just don't do that. Now you may try to politely back out of it, saying, well, Pastor Scott, that's wonderful. Someday we would like to have you over, but I don't think today's gonna be a good day for us. Maybe you're gonna be a little more direct and say, Pastor Scott, you know that's rude. You know it's rude to just invite yourself over. Or you might just turn to Charlene and go, You need to get Pastor Scott home for a nap. He has lost it. I think the heat's starting to get to him. But in that culture, when a rabbi, when a teacher came to somebody and said, I'm dining with you, it was like, really? That's amazing. It was was a badge of honor. It was a sign of acceptance. You wanna come to my house? you bet, we'll, we'll do whatever we can do to make your stay as pleasant as possible. And people begin to mutter because Jesus is saying to the chief tax collector, in their mind, the chief trader, the chief one who robs them of their hard-earned money, he's saying, Zacchaeus, I accept you. Zacchaeus, I accept you for where you are. I want you to be in a better place, but I I accept you right now for where you are. So he came down at once, verse six says, and he went and welcomed him gladly. The people are muttering. How could Jesus, if Jesus really knew who this guy was, if Jesus really is who he says he was, why would he interact with a sinner? Remember, we have, touched on this theme repeatedly in the gospel of Luke. Jesus went to the people that nobody else would go to. Jesus went to the people that everybody else had rejected. Jesus went to them and he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, I believe there is some time between verses seven and eight. I believe between verses seven and eight, there's a dinner. There's a, I think Zacchaeus has, has called all of his favors in and there's food there. There had to take some time to prepare it. I, I believe that Zacchaeus has called his other tax collectors in. You know, when the boss says we're having dinner at my house, you show up. I believe that there's conversation. I believe that there's laughter. I believe there's stories swapped and I believe Jesus is in the middle of it. Enjoying the time laughing when it's right to laugh, answering questions that are brought to him. And all of that has an impact on Zacchaeus. All of that touches his heart in a deep way. And in verse 8, he stands up. He's the host. So when he stands up, everybody quietens down. What is Zacchaeus going to say? What's he going to do? And he says, look, Lord, Even that statement right there, he's already acknowledging the authority of Jesus in his life. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. Without prompting, without being told this is what you need to do, he stands up and says, something has happened inside me today. Something has changed in me. And so I'm going to reflect that change and I'm going to give half of all my possessions to the poor. And then he goes on and he says, and this is a sentence that's put in the way that he's not saying it's a possibility. He's saying it's a reality. He's, it's translated this way. If I've cheated anybody out of everything, anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Basically, he's acknowledging that, yeah, yeah, I've I've not done business the right way. And he's at least aware enough of the law of Moses to know that restitution was demanded when you've taken something from someone. But the law even went so far, and Zacchaeus goes so far, the highest penalty in the law of Moses was to pay back four times what you took. So if I took a 20 from, from, from you over here and, uh, you know, and realized I was wrong, then I would have to give you back your 20 times four. Imagine getting a letter from the IRS Dear so and so, there was a miscalculation on your taxes, and we just found out about it. Not only are we going to send you back the refund due you, we're going to send you back four times that amount. Woohoo! What a country, right? He places on himself the highest in penalty imposed on the law of Moses. Look what Jesus responds. Today, salvation has come to this house. Isn't that interesting? I I know we're on this side of the cross, and we talk about coming into faith with Jesus Christ, believing in the cross, but we're not on that side of the cross yet in this story. Zacchaeus is willing to give up almost everything he owns. And Jesus says, that's an indicator of salvation. By the way, let me me just kind of back up for a second. Remember a couple weeks ago, we actually, maybe just last week, yeah, we talked about the rich young ruler. And remember he came and and Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And, And he wasn't willing to do that. And so you say, well, what's the difference here? Here's the difference. Zacchaeus willingly gave what he had. He didn't have to be talked into it or cajoled into it or reminded of it. It was a willing act of the heart. And Jesus says salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's a son of Abraham. In other words, he has the characteristics of, of abraham what is the characteristic of abraham well genesis fifteen six tells us abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness this act of zacchaeus without any prompting reveals that he has believed god and that he has believed jesus and jesus then says and this is my mission here's my mission summarize it the son of man came to seek and to save the lost you know remember earlier luke said that jesus told the pharisees i didn't come for the righteous i came for sinners you see jesus came for everyone because really the scriptures tell us there is none righteous there's none that does good Paul would write in, in, in response to that in, in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done that. Everyone else by their words and their actions had determined that Zacchaeus was a lost cause. It's not worth it. It's not worth even trying to share anything with him. He's a lost cause. But I want you to remember this. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He never wrote anyone off. And I think that's our first principle for this morning. We need to avoid the temptation of writing anyone off in regard, regarding their salvation. You and I need to avoid that. It's, it's easy to get there, isn't it? It's easy to get there to see someone and go, well, there, there's, there's just no hope for them. That's not my job. My job isn't to determine who there's hope for. I need to avoid the temptation of writing anyone off regarding their salvation. You see, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I need to follow the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is to seek others. I need to be involved in building friendships and relationships with others, with others. I mean, yes, with others who are here and of the community of christ definitely but even with others who are not part of the community of christ because they're the ones who need christ and as i build those relationships and and maybe like jesus go to their home for dinner and and enjoy time together there's opportunity at times for them to go okay tell me something how come you spend like an hour and a half in the heat but in the shade at church on sunday why do you do that oh well i can tell you why there's opportunity it's never my responsibility to determine who's ready who's it's my job to just live out grace and truth and love and leave room for god to do his work when we write someone off as hopeless we actually can interfere with the work of god through christ now luke goes on and and he tells us in another in another parable one of the last parables of the of the gospel of luke that while people were listening to him there was this growing sense that this is it this is the time this is when the kingdom's going to come Rome's gonna get it now. They're gonna see that you can't mess with this Jesus. He can feed 5,000 men at once with just some loaves and some fishes. He can heal anybody who's hurt on the battlefield. We're gonna, this is it, God's kingdom is here. And Jesus told them a story, a parable, as he's coming near to Jerusalem. And it's a parable of a familiar theme but it has a very difficult twist at the end. Uh, Something that's kind of hard for us to take. The the parable's similar. I'll start here reading in verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So we read that and we go, well, that's kind of arrogant, but it was not unheard of at that time. Uh, This man was going to be appointed king. And uh, that happened actually in about 40 BC when Herod the Great was called back to Rome and given the authority over Palestine as a king over Palestine. So it was not something that was unheard of. So what he did is he had to take care of affairs of state. So he calls his servants together and he gave 10 servants and he gave them 10 minas. Now, a mina or a mina, however you want to say it, was an amount of money equivalent to three months worth of wages. So every one of these servants got the amount of three months worth of somebody's average wages. And the king gave them this simple command, put the money to work until I come back. That's it just put the money to work. And uh, now there's freedom in that. He didn't tell them how to put the money to work. He didn't tell them what to do to put the money to work. He just said, take this money and make it work. You know, and so he goes off, but there's another group. So there's the king, there's these 10 servants. And then there's some subjects, some people that are gonna come under his rule. And we don't know why, but for some reason, they hated this man. We, we have no reason why the parable doesn't tell us. So they put together a delegation of people to go and oppose the appointment. Well, king goes off. There's the hearing before the emperor, as it were, or the nobleman goes off. There's a hearing before the emperor. The emperor listens to everything and he says to the subjects, "Yeah, you're king, buddy. And the guy comes back. Now, that had to take some time. You know, you didn't hop on a 747 or a Boeing Dreamliner and just fly. You, you took time to get there and to get back. He was made king and he returns home. And, and to say, OK, I gave you a very simple job, right? One job, make the money work, make it rain, so to speak, make the money work for us. He calls him in, now we were, there were 10 servants, but Jesus understanding that stories can go on and on and on, only tells us about three. The first one comes in and he brought in, he said, sir, I took your mina and I earned 10 more. So I took my three months of wages and now it's 30 months of wages. And the king's like, cha-ching, well done, good servant, the master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. I'm going to, you have shown me how faithful you are, how creative you are, how responsible you are. I'm going to let you be over these 10 cities over here in the kingdom. Second servant comes in, and his Mina earned five more. So he took three months of wages and turned it into 15 months of wages, a year plus some pay. And the king is thrilled and he says, All right, you're creative, you're responsible. I'm going to give you five cities finally he gets down to another servant and the servant walks in again this is a theme we've seen before and most of the interaction in this parable is between this servant and the king and the servant comes in hands him back his mina didn't do anything with it I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not show. In other words, he says to the king, you'll you'll take whatever you want anyway. Why should I do something for you? Why should I work for you? If you want it, you take it. You have all you want. You don't need any more. That's kind of like the attitude. So here, take it back. I didn't want to do anything with it. Obviously, the king is angry. And in Luke's version here, he uses the servant's words against him. I will judge you by your own words, he says in verse 22, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And he takes the mina from that man and he gives it to the one who had ten. And then he makes this statement, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those en- and So we'll stop right there. I'll get to the enemies. So Jesus gives us this cryptic solution and conclusion. This man loses everything. And the solution is, Anybody who has more, they're going to be, more is going to be given. But if the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And you say, what's going on there? What is Jesus trying to say? Well, I think we've got to look at the attitudes that are prevalent in this parable to understand this last point. We have to look at that, and we have to understand that the first two servants, they trusted the king. They were loyal to the king. And so they acted responsibly with what they had been given. The third man, he did not trust the king. He wasn't loyal to the king. And so he acted irresponsibly because he didn't have any respect or trust for the king. You see, how you and I respond to God, how we manage our lives before God Both is a is a direct reflection on what we think of god one scholar puts it this way the one who has no trust in god's goodness even though he or she may have a connection to god has no relationship with god and ends up with nothing from him in the end let me put it this way for you one of the key principles of this parable and the second principle in this sermon is simply this When I have put my faith in God through the work of Jesus Christ, I'm to use all God has given me responsibly. There was freedom in the command that these servants were given. Take the money, put it to work. Well, should I invest it? If that's what you want to do, do it. Should I go start a business? If you think that'll work, do it. There was no limits except for put the money to work god had in his infinite wisdom has given all of us different gifts abilities talents experiences background and he doesn't tell us okay you're all to be pastors i couldn't handle the competition you're all to be missionaries no be who god has made you to be live responsibly in a way that reflects his kingdom principles of loving God and loving others. I saw this lived out years ago in the life of a guy named Jake. Jake was already retired by the time I came along. Jake and Wilma lived in a little town called Etna Green, Indiana. They had a little place that they bought years down the road on the Tippecanoe River And I know we would go down there for Sunday school parties and stuff. And, uh, you know, Jake had done well for himself in sales. And uh, his, his heart was, God has given me time and energy. I want to use it for him. Jake was a greeter and an usher at our church. And if you ever got greeted by Jake, you would feel like you were home. You would feel like. You would just, I mean, if you're brand new walking into the church and Jake greeted you, you knew immediately you had a friend. At one point, the church where we served in Indiana was meeting in an old building that was about a hundred years old. And, and that was before Charlene and I got there and people started coming out, driving out to this place that was hard to find. And my, my mentor said, you could see old Jake out there as an usher. He said he could squeeze him in with a shoehorn because they were just packing out the place. Everybody loved Jake, and Jake had impact and influence on people of renown, but he was just a simple man. one day I drove up to the church, and there was Jake with a a metal bucket and a dandelion puller in the middle of the yard at the church, on his knees, digging dandelions. Wasn't going to spray them. He was going to dig them out. It was the only way to get them. And I do believe when I got out of the car, I think I heard Jake singing a hymn of praise to God as he dug dandelions. Jake dug dandelions for the glory of God. Jake said, I've got time and energy. How can I use it? Where do you need help? Where can I use it? I don't need to be upfront. I don't even need to teach Sunday school. I'll just do whatever you need to do that nobody else wants to do. That's what I'm talking about. That's that truth of living responsibly. But there's another truth that I think drove Jake. It was a truth that was built into this parable. And the truth is simply this, our third principle for today. We will all give an accounting for how we served God and served others. We are all going to come up in a time where God's going to say, Okay, I gave you this ability. How did you use it? Well, I... I, I, I wasn't very good at that. No, I gave that to you. Well, here, you can have it back because I didn't do anything with it. I don't want to be that person. I want to say, God, I did my best here. Now, I spent time studying every week so I could do the best sermon I possibly could. And some of them were good and some of them were duds, but I did my best every week god i did my best in rearing my children and i taught them about the principles of jesus god i was i did my best in being a good neighbor and and i made sure that when when i had a tool and my neighbor had needed he i loaned it to him and when it came back broken i didn't say anything i just went and got another one and i lended it out again when the time came i mean you could go on and on and on because there's freedom in how we use the abilities that God gives us, but we need to use them in a way that shows the love of God to others and that shows them that we love them. The king called each of those servants to accounting, and the servants who did nothing was treated harshly. Why? He only had a connection, air quote, there with the king. He didn't have a sense of responsibility to the king. Be careful that you don't just have some sort of a loose connection to God because it's not enough. If your grandmother went to church, that's wonderful. I'm thankful for her. My granny went to church. But you know what? God's not going to hold me accountable for my granny. What was my connection to him? What was my relationship to him? If your parents made you go to church or are making you go to church, And all, that's great. I'm glad for them. They're doing the right thing. But it's about your responsibility, your connection. What is your faith relationship with Jesus Christ today? About right over there in the parking lot, I remember when my son came back from a retreat that he had been on. And we got in the car. I said, how was it? And he just sat there for a minute. He was just silent. And then he said, dad, I think for the first time in my life, I really understood what it was like to be in the presence of God. Wow. All of a sudden it wasn't my faith anymore. It was his faith. It had become personal to him but there were those in the kingdom who determined that they didn't even want a loose connection to the king there are those in our world who say i don't even want a loose connection with god what about them they're represented by the angry subjects in the story you see they tried to stop the king from getting the authority that was due to him and i do believe there's an element of this parable that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who think they are going to stop this work and end it because in their minds it can't be of God and Jesus is letting them know you can't stop what God is doing. So in this very dark ending to this story that's not user-friendly, that's not comfortable, that doesn't make any of us feel good, the king says, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here And kill them in front of me. And you're going. Oh Jesus really? Is that how you did that? Really? That was not unheard of again in the time. The king eliminated his opponents. And you say. Well what's the point? The point is this. These people wanted nothing to do with the king. And he said fine. I want nothing to do with you. There are people in our world. Who want nothing to do with Jesus. We shouldn't be mean to them. We shouldn't wipe them out. That's not our, poor, our job. But we need to understand that there are people who are not like Zacchaeus, who don't want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. As the late Dallas Willard wrote in his book, The Allure of Gentleness, apologetics after the fashion of Jesus, being near God is the worst thing imaginable to some people. And all we have here is a reminder that a time is coming A time is coming when it's going to be too late. A time is coming when their choice to not want to be near God will be final and they will end up being as far from God as possible. And that brings us to our challenge for today. Three principles and a challenge. And the challenge is this. Our choice is simple and to the point. Follow Jesus or don't. That's it. It, it, There's not a lot of wiggle room. There's not a lot of middle middle ground. We choose to follow Jesus who did not write us off, but is still seeking to save those who are lost. We find this amazing freedom. There is great freedom in following Jesus. You are free from the, the guilt of sin. Somebody described it recently as like carrying a backpack full of rocks. And that's the guilt of sin that we carry when we come to faith in christ it's like taking the backpack off there's freedom we're free we're free to use our talents our gifts our abilities our experiences in amazing ways to make a difference in the lives of others but in the midst of that freedom we're responsible responsible to see the needs of others responsible to represent jesus accurately Remember, Jesus came, John tells us, full of grace and truth. We need to have that balance. And it's in following Jesus that we find that. We're responsible to live obediently by loving God and loving others. Because we will give an account someday. Avoid the temptation of writing off anyone regarding their salvation. I'm to use all the gifts, the abilities God's given me, everything He's given me, I'm to use it responsibly. We will give an accounting for how we have served God and others. And our choice really is very simple you follow Jesus or you don't. We celebrate the freedom we have a, in the country today as the United States of America. But I think even more importantly that we need to celebrate the freedom we have in Jesus Christ every day. And we need to live within the boundaries of that freedom using all that God has given us so that others may see him in us and respond to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for uh, again and again how your word just really challenges us, pulls us up short. Thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. May we live responsibly with the freedom that you've given us. May we enjoy the relationship we have with you, not being afraid of giving an accounting, but knowing that when we give an accounting to you, it will be an accounting of having done the best we can for you. Thank you for your grace and your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.